Hey, this is Ed Stetzer Live, and of course, I'm Ed Stetzer. I'm the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, and uh, and excited to have a conversation with our guest today for lots of reasons. Um, she probably doesn't know this, but I've actually written about her in one article, um, and I, re- I wrote about her when, when she talked about her own struggle with mental illness, and I talked about how important it is when Christian leaders talk about that, and I cited her and several others who had done so. This was a few years ago. But probably a little bit more fun for me is uh, Sheila Walsh is actually the soundtrack of my teenage years. And so Donna, my wife now, girlfriend then, we uh, we went to Sheila Walsh concerts, all that sort of stuff. When she opened for Phil Keggy, all this sort of stuff. So let me tell you about her, but don't just think of her. I mean, it's great to be a musician. She actually studied opera. We'll talk about that in just a minute, but also has a wonderful, diverse life experience uh, to talk to us about today. Sheila Walsh grew up in Scotland, has spoken to over 6 million women around the world. Her passion is being a Bible teacher and making God's Word practical. She's a best-selling author, sold almost 6 million books. Her most recent is Holding On When You Want to Let Go, Clinging to Hope When Life is Falling Apart, which we're going to talk about today. Actually, we're going to give some copies away of that as well. Again, it's holding on when you want to let go, clinging to hope when life is falling apart. She's also the co-host of the television program Life Today, airing in the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Australia with almost uh, 1 billion potential viewers. So Sheila Walsh, we got, I saw you talking to the Cove a few months ago. Good to have you on the program. Thanks for coming on to Ed Stetzer Live. Ed, thanks for having me. I have just huge respect for you in a million ways, so I'm grateful to be your guest. Oh, you're kind. I'd love. We just love to hear you talk. I'm grateful. Grateful. I can't. No, you know, none of us Americans can do. A, <laughs> we had Don and I. Uh, we lived in the UK for the fall. I taught at Oxford for the fall, and we went up to Scotland and just or was were enamored. But now you are. He, my wife's a Canadian citizen, now an American citizen. You are also part of the American family as well, so we're glad. And you live in Texas, no less. So you've got you're in the country of Texas and the country of the United States. So you got it all. Yeah, and it's like 195 here today. Not quite, yeah. but close. Yeah. yeah, and I appreciate the fact that you can actually speak Fahrenheit, you know, because, you know, the whole Celsius thing is big, <laughs> big for you Brits. But anyway, hey, so it's, it's super great to have you on. And I mentioned that um, years ago, and I think it was around the uh, suicide of uh, Jared Wilson, we had actually written an article, and you had made some comments, and you had shared some of your own struggle, and, and, and also uh, Carlos Whitaker had, and several other people had just Christian leaders, it might have, might have been early in that, but just had said, you know, Christians struggle, and this, you know, Jared was a pastor, and Christians struggle with issues of mental health as well. And and your transparency on that, I think, ministered to a lot of people. I, I told my, my friends Rick and Kay Warren that I think maybe, I mean, you know, it's hard to speak of the impact of the Warrens, but maybe one of the greatest impacts is just to, to also see, I mean, I remember I was flying from Dallas to Nashville, and when I took off in Dallas, everyone was gathered around the TV watching, I think it was Larry King interview Rick and Kay Warren. And when I landed in Nashville, everyone was gathered around the TV. And what they were talking about and listening to, they were talking about mental health and him talking about how Christians struggle in this area. Now, this is obviously a theme you've written about, and you feel so strongly about this and writing about mental health and depression today. Now, uh, again, the book is Holding On When You Want to Let Go and Clinging to Hope When Life is Falling Apart. But what, 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 what inspired you? Why now? Why is this so important to write about for you? I think because of my own experience um, in 1992 was when I had a kind of complete breakdown. At that point, I was the co-host of the 700 Club, and I had never heard of clinical depression. 
Um, all I knew was that I had this overwhelming weight of sadness, you know, more than just having a bad day. It just would not lift. And I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I would go to the ATM and I couldn't remember my four digit pin. And then one morning on the 700 Club, I just, I guess, turned the tables on me and said, you know, you sit here every day asking us questions. Let me ask you one first. How are you doing? And I wasn't expecting it. And there was such kindness and compassion in her eyes that I, I, I started to cry, which I hadn't done in years. And really, um, by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital. But the reason I decided to become very public about it, Ed, was because of how people responded to me. Mm -hmm. um, Pat Roberts, and I have to say, was incredibly gracious and kind way more than I thought he would be. But one of the senior staff at CBN, before I left for the psychiatric hospital that day, walked me around and around the lake at, at the Christian Broadcasting Network and said, if you do this, if you go to a psychi psychiatric hospital, your life is in ministry is over. No one will ever trust you again. And he said, you, you need to save your ministry. And basically he was saying, you're the weak link in this chain. You know, Pat's a godly man surrounded by other godly men. And the enemy wants to use you to destroy this ministry. Mm. And I was in such a dark place that it made sense to me. But after I did receive help and was put on good medication, I thought, I wonder how many other people are being mm. told exactly the same thing. And it just, it broke my heart. And so I thought, no, we need to shine the brightest light into the darkest corners of the church so that people who are living there can come into a place of understanding and, and being loved. Yeah, I'm so thankful that you have. I think it's such an important issue. I, I often try to highlight um, when I see a pastor or a church leader say, you know, I was talking to my therapist. I'm like, let, 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 let's normalize that. You know, let's have yeah. people think about that. We, but it is interesting. I had one of my team members at a former uh, place I served, and you know, I, I hired him knowing he had struggled with uh, mental mental health, and uh, but we wanted to be a you know, I mean, I hired him knowing that, and we wanted it to be a thriving place, and it was a thriving place for me. Did a great job, but one day he he asked, hey, can I write an article anonymously? Because you know, I publish at different places, and and uh, I forget where it was. It might have been Christianity Today or Church Leaders. I said sure, and he wrote this article because he was a pastor and had to step away when um, when his elders found out he was taking some medication, uh, some psych psychotropic medication to help with issues of depression. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he the article was called Coming Out of the Medicine Cabinet. And, and wow. it was interesting, like someone coming out of the closet, coming out of the mm -hmm. medicine cabinet. And yet he had to still write it anonymously because he knew it would mm -hmm. kind of close some some doors for him. So, so how, how do we, I mean, I, I talk about, I have an article in Focus on the Family this week about, uh, well, last month about mental health. And I talked about how pastors should talk about it because sermons help break stigmas. Um, yeah. Now, what about, I mean, because I do think pastors should, but most of our listeners are not pastors. How can they help break some of the stigma so people can talk about these things and get the help that they need? Well, you know, it's really interesting. Um, some time ago, I, th I guess it was maybe even when this book came out, my pastor, Jack Graham, said, um, I would like to interview you about your your book. Actually, no, it was a book before this. It was called It's OK Not to Be OK. Mm -hmm. and, and I talked that morning to our congregation and people watching online about the struggles that I had been through. And afterwards, Jack said, you know, we've never done anything like that in the church. But what surprised him was the number of people who came up afterwards and said, 
I've been struggling this for years, but I never thought I could talk to anybody. So instead of it being something that caused a rift within the church, although I'm sure some people didn't like it, it opened a door. So they then hired a pastor, a guy called Michael Perrin, to specifically be there for those who are struggling with all sorts of issues, you know, mental issues, substance abuse issues. And it's so funny, Ed, because I think when you consider what Christ did on the cross, when you consider that that was the only option for you and I to be in relationship with a holy God, you would think that Christians would be the most fully human people on the planet. But often we're the weirdest people on the planet, you know, the most shut down, the most. And then we wonder why people don't come flooding through our doors when they're in trouble. I think if we learn to simply let it's like I feel like I don't need to be God's PR agent. I think he's doing a good enough job by himself. I can just tell the truth. And to me, that's what connects us to other people. Yeah, no, I think it makes all the difference. And I think that, um, you know, we did some research um, that and I wrote. I wrote about this in an article on CNN. Uh, that in, in our research is Christians have a disproportionate suspicion of uh, medication in particular. Um, now, not it's not overwhelming. It, it, we we still we, we should know we've made a lot of progress on some of these areas. But you know the idea that you know just prayer, uh, prayer and Bible study alone. About half of evangelicals said just by prayer and Bible study alone, yeah. I can. I'm paraphrasing here. I can uh, you know defeat mental illness, and um, you know pa- pastors actually have a more robust, I think, understanding of how mental health fits into the, the full fabric of our lives. But what would you say to somebody? Because, I mean, this, this is the, the audience you were talking to. You know, you were, you were on CBN. You were there. I, mean, I think Pat used the words nervous breakdown to describe your, yeah, your d- departure and, and more. And, you know, and, and we all probably use different language now to describe some of those things. So, I mean, here's a sense that people, there's a lot of people saying you should just pray through this. You should pray this depression away. And, you know, and a lot of people even thinking that right, right now. So how would you respond and help them think differently about issues of depression and mental health? You know, there are some situations where being honest with God, you know, I think of the woman um, that we read in Mark's gospel who had the issue of blood and reaches out and touches the hem of Christ's garments. And, and to me, the most redeeming factor about her story was that, you know, she could just have gone home knowing she was healed. But after she fell at the feet of Jesus and told him the whole truth, and then he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. She wanted the bleeding to stop. Christ wanted her to be whole. It's a different thing. And there are situations in life where, you know, you walk through a bad season or something's not going well. And that's not clinical depression. That's more situational. And sometimes all you need then is to be able to. But when I say pray, I don't mean, you know, trying to say all the right words, but being very honest with God. And and also I learned that the power of the book of Psalms, you know, during the first, I guess, six to nine months of COVID, I found myself kind of spiraling again. And I remembered something that Ruth Graham had said to me. Sometimes when when Billy would be on a crusade, Ruth had me to the house. She was really like a spiritual mentor to me and Mm. poured so much wisdom. And she said to me once, I remember, she said, Sheila, if you are struggling with an issue and you're trying to find out a better roadmap, she said, obviously dive deep into God's word, but then read as much as you can. And she said, don't just read what's current. Go as far back as you can. And so I found this amazing quote by Athanasius, which seriously impacted and continues to impact my life, where he said, 
Whereas most of scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. They give us a language of prayer. So I have found tremendous comfort in, I, I read three Psalms out loud every morning because it's good for my ears to hear what my eyes are reading. So sometimes that's all you need if you're going through a bit of a downturn. But for those of us who are diagnosed with clinical depression, which simply means your brain is not producing enough of the right chemicals to be able to function well. I remember my first meeting with the psychiatrist in the hospital, and I remember naively and you know ignorantly saying to him, "I don't want any of your happy pills." You know, mm. so I'll go around, you know, like talking to my imaginary dog and feeling good about it. And he said, "No, those are street drugs. We don't do those in here." And he explained all that the medication for clinical depression does is it brings the chemicals back to a level where you're able to be who God has created you to be. And I mean, I'm not the poster child for medication, but I can tell you 100% it has literally saved my life. We're going to continue our conversation with Sheila Walsh in just a second and take your calls as well, 877 548 3675. Of course, this is a sensitive topic, and um, we, we recognize that some might want to share their own journey as well. We want to invite you to 877 548 3675. We're talking with Sheila Walsh about her new book, Holding On When You Want to Let Go, Clean the Hope When Life is Falling Apart. 877 548 3675. Hey, we're back having a uh, fascinating and helpful conversation with Sheila Walsh. Uh, our number is 877-548-3675. It's hard to, to describe a person like Sheila Walsh who has such a broad array of accomplishments. And uh, I, I was just fascinated by the, uh, by the opera background, the London Bible College, all these sorts of things that were part of her journey. We could read the bio that goes on for a long while. But we're actually focusing in on her newest book, Holding On When You Want to Let Go, Clinging to Hope When Life is Falling Apart. Now, that actually came out uh, during the pandemic. And we, just before the break, we were talking about, um, you know, some of the challenges and the struggle. Because we see, Sheila, we've seen a lot of people, a lot of the rates of depression, a lot of uh, people struggling with mental illness. I mean, we just saw recently a stat that just really pointed to an unsustainable rise in depression among young adults, young and, and teenagers. Um, so talk to us. You just mentioned the the pandemic and its impact when we when we took a pause. So tell me more. Tell me more about that and that part of the journey for you. You know, it's it's funny because like you, Ed, you know, I travel a lot and speak all over the place. I travel internationally. And when COVID hit me, like everybody else on the planet, um, you know, everything was, was all my events were canceled and suddenly we were home. And I have to be honest and say, for the first few weeks, I loved it. I mean, it was like, this is great. I don't have to get all dressed. I don't have to put on makeup. I stayed in my pajamas and binge watched the Great British Baking Show. But after a while, I found myself beginning to spiral again. I would wake up with this feeling of hopelessness or despair or when will things ever be back to normal? And it looks like they won't ever be back to normal. It'll be something new. And I remember one night I was watching the news, not national news, it was local. And there was this elderly gentleman, his wife had COVID and was in intensive care and they knew she wasn't going to make it. And he wasn't allowed to go in and say goodbye to her. And I remember just getting down on my knees in our den and just sobbing. So I thought, Lord, this is terrible. It's just terrible. 
And, and then our own son, our son is 26 and he's in graduate school studying clinical psychology. But I watched the isolation impact his mental health. And it was just, I found myself warm one morning saying to the Lord, we, have a, we live in a townhouse and in the middle floor, there's a, a balcony going out and saying, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I know how I lived before and I knew what was familiar before and what was comforting before. I don't know how to live in this in this situation. And, and that's when, um, honestly, going back as far as I could was, was really good for me in reading because our brothers and sisters throughout the centuries have left a roadmap. But the other thing that I discovered that was important, I tend to be a bit of a loner. I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. And also, I, I grew up with such a sense of there's something wrong with me. So I have to keep people a bit at a distance so that they don't see. Because my dad, who was my hero, had a massive brain injury when I was five. And he attempted to take my life before he took his own life. Mm. And it just, if you dug down to the foundation stone of, in the cellar of my soul, it would say, I'm too broken to be loved. So I've always found it hard to make friends because I just assumed people would rather I wasn't in the room. So I'd kind of vote myself off the island. But then these three women who are, we would never have met in normal circumstances. You know, they're just, we're different ages, different backgrounds, just different everything. God connected us during a project and we decided that for um, as long as we wanted to, we were going to connect initially through Zoom, you know, at least once a week. And sometimes I did not want to do it. I just wanted to be quiet. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody's face. And But they would literally get on my phone and say, Sheila, sit down and sign on now. We're waiting. Mm-hmm. And there's, I discovered there's something about the companionship of brokenness, this kind of sense that we're not made to do this journey by ourselves. that we need, that that's what God saw. You know, he said, it's not good for you to be alone. And so this need to be connected. So I called them my three safe sisters hmm. because we tell each other everything. And, and you know, before, I, I guess when I was, during the years of the 700 Club, and, and by the way, now I'm actually with Trinity Broadcasting Network. Right. Um, I left Life Today last year. And so um, you're doing a different kind of programming for that network where it's not always the shiny and the glossy and the glitzy. Yeah. It's, it's, in fact, the very first interview I did with Matt and Laurie Crouch. Matt, that's exactly what Matt wanted. He said, I want to hear your whole story. And at the end, he said to me, you know, we've never done this kind of thing before, but this is the direction we're heading in. Mm-hmm. If we don't sit down with people where they are, then we have lost our relevancy. Mm-hmm. And so just I think people became very isolated and lonely. And if you had that tendency anyway, it only exacerbated the situation. And interesting, last night I was watching a documentary on, on Prime, I think, but it was it was the mother, two of the mothers of boys who were responsible for some of the worst school shootings in America. Mm. And listening to these mothers and the way that they tried to get some help, 
but there was very limited help available. And the last part of the documentary is basically it's psychiatrists and sociologists and education experts talking about the need in our nation to start as young as you can, even with kindergartners, in terms of being able to say, this is how I'm feeling. And the teachers say, okay, if you're feeling this, what could you do that might help? You know, it's just this awareness of the fact that we are very complicated beings, but giving children tools to be able to express what they're feeling without coming to the point where they just lose all sense of what's okay and devastating consequences. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, I think one of the challenges, the world's so complicated and there's different levels and layers to so many things. Yesterday, I, I tweeted uh, just said something that I had to, just had a bad day yesterday. And I think it's mm-hmm. important to just mention that sometimes. And it wasn't yeah. a mental health related issue, but it was just a really kind of a lame day. And I need today to be a better day. And talking to you has already made it a better day. But oh. it's interesting because people don't know even how to respond. I'm like, I'm, you know, just, yeah. I just think if we always post the shiny, happy visions mm-hmm. of ourselves, then that just, it causes people not to recognize that reality doesn't look like that. The reality is life is a long, hard slog at times as yeah. well, and there are struggles that come through that. Now, we've got some folks who are going to jump in with some phone calls as well. Let me remind uh, just our listening audience as well that if you want to uh, have a conversation, jump in, ask a question, make a comment, 877-548-3675 is our number. So first, let's go to, let's go to Craig in Indianapolis. Craig, you're live on the air. What's your question or your comment? Hi, Ed. Thank you so much. I'm driving hands-free in my car, so I'll make my uh, question and comment brief. I, I appreciated, uh, Sheila, what you said about reading Psalms out loud. Coming out of COVID, I went through uh, a dark place and, and found myself, uh, my go-to place was Lamentations 3, and I found myself reading that out loud often with a lot of energy. And uh, I just wanted to know, uh, if you comment a little bit on the biblical idea of the lament, as it relates to uh, working through uh, mental health? Yeah, that's a great question, Craig. And I totally understand why you would find companionship in that text. I think it's very interesting that when you study the Psalms, I mean, many of them will begin with discouragement and helplessness, but they usually resolve toward the end. But right in the middle of the book of Psalms, there's Psalm 88 which I don't think I have ever heard a sermon on. And it's, it's a very interesting psalm because it begins like this. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you day and I come to you at night. And it ends by saying, you've taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. And I find myself asking, you know, Lord, why is that included in the canon of scripture? And I think it's because for many people at particular stages or places in their life, that's the reality. You know, we want to say that, you know, if, if you just, you can pray through it and you can, you know, you can say something to God and it will always have a happy ending. And I've discovered that, that that's not true. So the way that I find the Psalms helpful is it just gives voice to what I'm feeling. And And I think that when you read Psalms out loud, in fact, I go out in the balcony, I have no idea what my neighbors think. I mean, one day I'm going to get some cease and desist letter from the neighbors, but it's important. And I often read them really out loud because it's how I feel. And there's something about knowing I am standing beside brothers from 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but we're singing the same song. And I think it makes you feel less alone. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think I think that's a big part of the, even as, as you mentioned, and Craig, if you hold on the line too, we're going to give you a copy of, of the book as well. So our producer will jump on and give you a copy of Holding On When You Want to Let Go, Cling to Hope When Life is Falling Apart. Is there is a sense that we are not the first and we will not be the last to struggle mm-hmm. in this way. And even Christians throughout the centuries have talked about the great cloud of witnesses. We, mm-hmm. you know, we, we look at people, you know, Spurgeon struggled with depression. Uh, we, well, we can do a thousand examples historically, and we can look into the pages of Scripture and see people struggle uh, as well. Um, you know, what are some ways that you cope with some of these things, the, the, uh, the kind of the strategies that you use? We're going we're gonna to come, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we've got about a minute, and then I want you to continue on the other side. So tell me about a minute to kind of be a little bit about coping, and then we'll continue on the other side. One of the, a lot of people cope by journaling. For some reason, that does not help me at all. But what I do do is um, I talk to my closest friends and you have to be careful who you talk to. You know, you don't want it to be shared with people who are not trustworthy. And at times I allow myself to sit in the silence. I'm the kind of person that used to get up and turn on the news and get in the car and put on some talk radio and stuff. I have learned to enjoy the beauty of stillness and quiet and also listening prayer. That is helping me too. Fascinating, fascinating. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Sheila Walsh, and it's a fascinating conversation. We're also taking your calls, 877-548-3675. The title of her new book is Holding On When You Want to Let Go, Clinging to Hope When Life is Falling Apart. And and depending on where you are right now, for some people are in a good time, some people are coming out of a bad time, some people are in a bad time, but we'll face, we're going to face these realities of struggle along our lives. But Sheila also takes it a little deeper and shares where mental health and mental illness come into this and how we hold on and some of those deeper troughs. We'll talk more about that in your calls in just a moment. 877-548-3675-877-548-3675. Hey, we're back continuing our conversation with Sheila Walsh. She's written a really powerful, well, she's written several powerful books, but but uh, six million copies have sold. But in this case, we're talking about a book she published at 21 called Holding On When You Want to Let Go, Clinging to Hope When Life is Falling Apart. We've got some good calls lined up to have the conversation. We recognize these are complex issues, and and a radio uh, talk show is not going to be the totality of that. It can be a brief opportunity to kind of give some advice, give some encouragement. But uh, just know that as you are walking through issues of mental health, mental illness, and more, that we want to encourage you to connect um, with uh, mental health professionals, with your local church in a partnership, to and, and with your family and friends as well. But let's go ahead and take some calls that are asking for some advice and some counsel, and we'll go first to Patricia in Burbank, California, listening on K-Wave. Patricia, you're live on the air. Go right ahead. Thank you so much. God bless you, Ed. Your show just always has such interesting and very helpful um, guests. And Sheila, God, good morning, and God bless you both. Um, I'm so thankful to have to hear you this morning. I heard the title of your book, and it just, you know, it's amazing how God just aligns me with people who are speaking His His blessings. Um, my, my, my situation is I'm, I'm married to a Vietnam veteran. He served 67, 68, and he has a lot of PTSD issues. And now he's in the 
you know, beginning stages of dementia. Mm-hmm. I have a son, um, and he was very militaristic about it, the way he raised up our son, very strict and very demanding. And so my son um, is always striving, 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 trying to uh, somehow get his uh, approval. And he's, he's already in his 50s, and he's just constantly just chasing, chasing his tail, chasing money, chasing everything. His son, he was never very been very close. Oh, my son also had a drug issue, so he always isolated himself. He was never available for his son. So his son grew up kind of without a dad and being alone. And, and, and through the COVID, he got even more isolated. And he's like bitter and angry with angry with everybody and I just come to the end of my rope sometimes and I cry out Lord am I going crazy what do I do and I do I pray all day long Um, and I just would love to hear your thoughts or questions about that okay well can I ask you too I want you to hold on the line because Karen our producer is going to go on and come on and give you a copy of Sheila's Sheila's new book and again it's holding on when you want to let go and hope that be encouragement but Sheila what advice or counsel would you give because she sounds like she's walking a hard road right now First of all, Patricia, um, my heart aches for you. I mean, I can't even imagine the complexities of your your life and what every day must look like. And you know what I love about you, Patricia? You're still crying out to God. Mm. And that's, that is amazing because sometimes, you know, we almost want to shake our fist at the sky. But when my, when my son, obviously my son has not gone through some of the things like that, but when he was younger, um, my father-in-law, William, lived with us for three years, and it was just, it was delightful because he would let our son do things I would never let him do. It was just a perfect relationship. And But Christian and I were the only two that were home the night that my father-in-law died. And the EMS came, and they were able to bring him back, and we followed to the hospital, but but he was, he was gone. And for the first two or three weeks, I watched um, my son do what I expected. He cried. He he was just, he had a really hard time. But then one day he did something that was unusual. We had adopted this cat from the shelter and Christian loved this cat, but he pushed her off the sofa. And I said to him, babe, let's take a walk. And we went for a long walk. And I said to him, Christian, are you angry? And he said, yes, I'm angry. And I said, well, talk to me about it. He said, mom, you told me that God answers prayers. And when we followed the ambulance that night, I said, God, please don't take my papa. But he did. So A, I don't like God, and B, I'm never going to talk to him again. And I said, I totally, totally get that. And I drove him to a sports store, and I bought him uh, boxing gloves and a punching bag. And I said, Christian, when you are angry, you hit that thing until you collapse. But then you get to collapse into the arms of a God who's big enough for all your questions and your anger. And one of the things is just that we want life to be fair. And fear doesn't live here, but Jesus does. I would just say a couple of things. You know, I would just say to you, a lifetime is not too long to pray. I would keep praying and praying that God would intervene in ways that perhaps you can't even imagine, maybe bringing somebody across their path that you can't even imagine. But know that God loves your son even more than you do. And it would be my prayer that You might even have that kind of conversation with them, saying, you know what, I totally get why you're so angry and you've every right to be angry. I think sometimes a deeper anger comes when we think we have to be okay with everything. And Mm. life is not okay, and it's okay to say that. Yeah, it's interesting. The psalmist seemed to say that. The psalmist 
you know, I, I was just I was just preaching Sunday on uh, Psalm 27. Psalm 27, like the first part's going great, and like a tornado seems to hit in the middle of it. And David cries out to God, "Don't, don't abandon me. Don't." I mean, you could feel some of that. Yet we don't. I mean, you know, you're walk through this journey of being a musician, and even in Christian worship songs, it's always you know happy and everything's going to be great, and just trust God. And we don't have a lot of songs about lament, but the reality is the Psalms have a sense of that lament as well. So what do you, what do you advise people to do when they cry out to God, they find that God is maybe silent? Um, you, you've walked through that yourself. You talk about that in the book, uh, about his silence in times of great need and more. How would you advise people to respond when they're crying out to God and hearing silence? Oh, did, I, did I lose you? Okay, we lost we lost her. That's okay. We'll hopefully we can catch her back for in just a moment as well. So we were talking with Sheila Walsh, and we're going to get her back on the line in just a moment. We're talking about some of the struggles with, uh, well, mental health, mental illness, and more. Specifically, we're talking about her book, "Holding On When You Want to Let Go: Clinging to Hope When Life Is Falling Apart." Now, worth noting is that there are different ways that we can respond. You know, the reality is I, I shared earlier that I had a really lousy day yesterday, and I complained to the Lord about it, and he's big enough to handle my complaints. Uh, That's not the same thing. You might have a a, a bad day. You might have a spiritual struggle, and a spiritual struggle might be something that we walk through, ultimately leading towards transformation. But then even beyond the idea of a spiritual struggle could be something where there's a mental illness. And and people ask, well, how do we know? What does that look like? You know, I had a helpful conversation with a psychologist once, and he explained it this way. You know, we all can kind of get stuck in a trough for a while, in a rut for a while. Maybe it's been a bad few weeks or even a bad season, or maybe COVID was difficult, or maybe we'd have a hard time with our kids, whatever it may be. So we get in that rut, and the challenge is is when we can't get out of that. And when it goes on for more than a short period of time, being sad is not the same thing as being depressed, but when a short period of time leads to ongoing, what Sheila talked about is the inability to to use her ATM card. She talked about how she needed to find some sort of sense of, of a help in the midst of that. And I think that's the place where we want to reach out. Now, the question is, how do we reach out? Well, again, in healthy church environments, they see uh, mental health and mental illness as something that they'll often cooperate and partner with together. So it's not that, well, you have a mental illness that's not the church's problem. You should go to a mental health professional, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Uh, no, that's this is a, a constellation of partners that we kind of work together to provide some of those services and resources for people who are struggling with a mental illness. So earlier I mentioned that uh, one of my colleagues in a past place of employment I had hired knowing he had struggled with a mental illness. Well, we had a support system here uh, at the place he worked. We had a, he was engaged, uh, he engaged a physician, uh, and he also was engaged in his church. And and those things together sort of provide us as we have different levels of struggle, in this case, with mental illness. So again, we've got Sheila back, but let me just remind you again, we're talking about some things are, a, uh, might be a difficult time, some things are a spiritual struggle, can be addressed spiritually. It's when we ultimately get to a, when we get to kind of a place where we're stuck and unable to come out the other side. That's the place, too, where we're going to involve more of a constellation of resources. That would be church, mental health professionals, might be a doctor, 
uh, and a supportive community and supportive family. So we're going to continue our conversation with your calls as well. Our phone number is 877-548-3675. I've got Sheila back, and she's going to jump right back in with your questions in just a moment here on Ed Stetzer Live, talking to Sheila Walsh about her book, Holding On When You Want to Let Go, Clinging to Hope When Life is Falling Apart. Well, Sheila Walsh is back, which does make you happy. You didn't want to hear me taking your phone calls the rest of the program. But, Sheila, thanks for reconnecting and making the magic happen again. We're going to go right to the calls uh, as well. First, we're going to go to Victoria in California. Victoria, you're live on the air. Go right ahead. Hello. Thank you so much for taking my call. I'm so grateful to hear that you're interviewing Sheila Walsh. She's been a wonderful um, uh living water influence in my life for all the years. I was a social worker out in the field. Uh, I listened to her music and her tapes and watched her on CBN and saw when she had her meltdown and observed uh, her comeback. <laughs> so mm. she's she's been a hero for me. And now I appreciate the fact that you're not, not applauding her, but allowing her bell of freedom to ring through your show, Ed. Thank you so much. I'll glad to do. Go ahead with your question or your comment. And my question is, um, I've been diagnosed with bipolar. I went from, I know the depression was there, but I don't believe it's bipolar and I don't accept it and receive it. Although I'm taking the medication that they've given me. And obviously you can hear, I don't sound like I'm very happy. Uh, I just feel like sometimes I'm underwater and I need to come up for breath and I don't swim very well. So that's why I know that the Holy Spirit is there. I read my word daily. I pray daily. But some days I feel I don't want to die. I'm not depressed and wanting to give up. But my clinging, I run out of breath. It's okay. What do we do? What do we do? Uh, well, Victoria, I want you to. I want you to first. Um, we're going to give you a copy of of Sheila's book, but I'm. I'm, and 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 that's going to be a helpful and encouragement. But what I'm just encouraged by what you're saying is, it sounds like you are engaged in some of the treatment and some of the relationships on this journey, though it doesn't take the weight of that away. But I wanted to say I'm glad to hear that you're engaging with both medical professionals, and it sounds also maybe in your church as well. Um, so talk to us a little bit, Sheila. What advice would you give Victoria on her journey? You know, Victoria, honestly, I hear myself in your voice. I hear myself in your struggle and in your pain. And I also I understand this. I don't want to accept this. I don't want to take this medication. I'm not going to receive this diagnosis. And I struggled like that for a while. And I remember deciding once I'd been on the medication for, I don't know, maybe three or four years And I thought, you know what, I'm in a good place. I don't think I need this. So I talked to my doctor about kind of gradually reducing. And eventually I got off. And for about a month, five weeks, I felt great. I felt more alive. I felt more engaged with life. But then very slowly, I found myself starting to sink again. And I I found myself living in a place with some really dark thoughts that I didn't realize had been gone since I'd taken the medication. Mm. And so 
part of part of my journey is I still take medication to this day. I've been on medications since 1992. Mm-hmm. And I I have changed the way I take my medication. I used to think, Lord, I can't believe I need this as I would take it. Now I take it every morning with a prayer of thanksgiving that God has provided help for those of us who need it in this world. There's nothing to be, there's no shame attached to this. This isn't to do with your spiritual life. It's to do with your brain chemistry. That I would just encourage you to trust the process, you know, to get engaged. If, if there's a small group in your church, to get engaged with that, to, to maybe just get out and walk for 30 minutes every day, to be faithful to take your medication and to pour your heart out before the Lord, knowing that, I mean, if you had to take, you would never walk up to somebody wearing glasses and saying to them, well, where's your faith? You know, you would just accept that as we get older, our vision changes. It's it's just the same with this kind of medication. It's not to do with where you love and trust God or not. It's to just to do with the fact that we're not home yet, Victoria. One of these days, Revelation 21 tells us one of these days, we'll be home and and God himself will wipe every tear from our faces. But until then, we hold each other's hands and we thank God for the help that's available in this broken world. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Victoria, for your call as well. We're, we're hurting with you. I want to encourage you to maintain those communities of care that you, we already mentioned as, as well. And let me also say, too, that, you know, and this is a brief show. It's one hour. And Sheila is written a whole book that presses in on some of these issues. It's holding on when you want to let go, clinging to hope when life is falling apart. And I also recognize that when you talk about, you know, medication and engaging, you know, mental health professionals, that we, we there's one, more than one thing can be true at a time, is that what Sheila is saying, and what I'm agreeing with Sheila, is that this has been a help for a lot of people. We also recognize there's some places that people are over-medicated, their medications not work well. Yeah. And what I would say is you want to, we're not saying everything there is to be said about this issue in this Mm. one hour program, but we also recognize that so many people have been helped by that. That's why you hear us talking uh, about medication as, as well. And, and, you know, Sheila has been one of those people has been open about her own journey and how it's been a, 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 it's termed blessing or a gift to you. What what was the term you use when you take your medication each morning? I, I thank God for the gift of this med- to help those of us who are struggling in this world. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see if we can uh, jump to another call um, as well. We're going to go to Laura down there in Texas. Laura, you're live on the air with your question or comment. If you could jump right in, it would be helpful. Hi there. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate the time. Uh, you know, I, I dealt with a very dysfunctional childhood. It translated into my early adult life. Um, I came to know the Lord and, and uh, walking with the Lord in my early 30s. Um, what I realized, I haven't been able to feel emotion for most of my adult life and realize that I have a mental health issue, that I need to take care of myself and, and deal with that. Um, I have a family member who's um, a pastor, and they really discourage saying something. Well, for example, their, their child has a health issue, and they said, we're not going to name this issue because then we're owning it for their body and giving the enemy uh, the ability to hold on to that on his body. And in, in the same way with mental health. and. My, my my comment to that is always, you know, we live in a fallen world. Our bodies were made to be in paradise with, with, with God, and we live in this fallen world. So our bodies have issues. What is there out there to be able to educate 
leaders in our church to say this is a very real issue and it doesn't mean we don't love jesus it means Mm. that we need we need to help ourselves to live in this imperfect world Laura, what a great, great question. Why don't you hold on the line so Karen, my producer, is going to step on in just a moment after after Sheila's answer. And let me say, too, that uh, Focus on the Family and uh, Lifeway Research and I did a huge partnership study developing all kinds of resources. And if you go to Focus on the Family Mental Health, you just Google that, you can find the study there, lots of resources. And it was geared towards pastors who may be unsure how to respond. But Sheila, uh, folks, folks want to hear from you. We've got about two minutes left in the program. What advice would you give in closing with Laura and really in general? First of all, Ed, I love that you've made that resource available. That is fantastic. Um, secondly, Laura, I mean, I, I understand what it's like to come up against that. And a lot of it is genuine ignorance, a genuine not understanding what is going on. And when you talk about your dysfunctional childhood. I One of the things that I've found so helpful, apart from medication, is Christian counseling. I just recently, I mean, I'm talking about in the last month, spent three days in an intensive with an incredible Christian counselor, just because I felt like, for me personally, when my reaction in a situation is out of proportion to what's actually happening, I know there's history attached. So at regular points during my life, I've made time to really ask the Holy Spirit, Um, to show me areas that still need his healing and his love. And that's been incredibly helpful for me. Mm. Sheila, what advice would you give to people in general? We've got a little less than a minute about uh, that kind of encapsulates some of what you wrote in the book. Let me remind everybody it's holding on when you can't let go. How do we hold on when we can't, when we want to let go? You know, I, first of all, I would say that, you're providing incredible resources, Ed. The fact that you're talking about these kind of things is really important, which is why the callers of Colvin are so grateful to you. Um, I would also recommend Kay Warren has a great site. If you just go to kaywarren.com, where yep. she lists all sorts of resources. And, and she also has things where you can join um, either by Zoom. I can't remember exactly how she does it. But once a month, she'll have things where we go through these discussions. There are incredible resources out there and make use of them. And no, you're not alone. So good. So good. And it's so thankful for you, Sheila Walsh. Again, I started by, you know, I don't even think like everyone sort of knows you about betting on their age, right? So like, oh, she was the talk show host or she was this author. And and to me, you're the rock and roller from the uh, from the late <laughs> or, or the early mid to late 80s when I was in high school. And, and anyway, and, and of course, we just got to do something together for the Cove at Wheaton College. And yeah. so it's just it's great to great to get to know you a little bit personally after the years of appreciating you from afar. Um, again, our guest has been Sheila Walsh. And thanks for the great calls that have come in as well. Let me thank our team here. Uh, behind the scene teams, my producer, you heard me mention Karen Hendren a few times, and my engineer also, Courtney Young. Uh, Lynn's been manning the phones today. Actually, Christian's also been working with Courtney, so we've got the whole team working today. Here today's program, again, you'll find it at edstetzerlive.com or on the Moody Radio app. I am I continue to encourage people to subscribe to this as a podcast so you can listen anytime as well. Remember, Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, and it is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks, Michelle Walsh, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great Saturday. 